Section 92 of Greece and Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 4, Greece and Rome. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 92. Peace with the Goths or War, 535 A.D. by Felix Don. At the time of the fall of the empire in the west in 476, Odoacer, leader of the Goths, became patrician and ruled Italy under Zeno, emperor of the east. Odoacer was not of a submissive turn of mind, and he became more and more independent. Now there were also Ostrogoths, or eastern Goths, who dwelt north of the Black Sea. They came down upon Italy and wrested the land from the grasp of Odoacer and their leader Theodoric, became ruler of Italy in his stead. A few years after Theodoric's death, Justinian, emperor of the east, sent the great general Belisarius to drive out the Ostrogoths, then ruled by Totila. They resisted stubbornly and even threatened Byzantium or Constantinople. The Editor On the next day, the emperor Justinian was standing buried deep in reflection before the tall golden crucifix in his room, the expression of his face was very grave, but without a trace of alarm or doubt. Quiet decision lay upon his features which, else not handsome or noble, at this moment betrayed mental power and superiority. He lifted his eyes almost threateningly to the crucifix. "'God of the cross,' he said, "'thou puttest thy faithful servant to a hard proof. It seems to me that I have deserved better. Thou knowest all that I have done to the honor of thy name?' Why do not thy strokes fall upon thine enemies, the heathens and barbarians? Why not? He was interrupted in his soliloquy by the entrance of his chamberlains and wardrobe keepers. Justinian exchanged his mourning garment for the robes of state. His slaves served him upon their knees. He apparelled himself in a tunic of white silk reaching to the knees, embroidered with gold on both sides and confined by a purple girdle. The tightly fitting hose were also of silk of the same color. His slaves threw over his shoulders a splendid mantle of a lighter shade of purple, with a broad hem of golden thread upon which red circles and symbolic animal forms, embroidered in green silk, alternated with each other. But the pearls and precious stones which were lavishly strewn over it rendered the design almost invisible and made the mantle so heavy that the assistance of the train bearers must have been indeed a welcome relief. On each of his arms, the emperor wore three broad golden bracelets. The wide crown was made of massive gold, arched over with two rows of pearls. His mantle was fastened on the shoulder with a costly brooch of large precious stones. The scepter-keeper put into the emperor's hand a golden staff the length of a man, at the top of which was a globe made out of a single large emerald and surmounted with a gold cross. The emperor grasped it firmly and rose from his seat. A slave offered him the thick-soled buskins which he usually wore in order to increase his height. No, today I need no buskins, said Justinian, and left the room. Down the stairs of the lions, so called from the twenty-four immense marble lions which guarded the twelve steps and which had been brought from Carthage by Belisarius, the emperor descended to a lower story and entered the hall of Jerusalem. This hall derived its name from the porphyry columns, the onyx vases, the golden tables, and the numerous golden vessels which, 
arranged on pedestals and along the walls, were said to have formerly decorated the temple of Jerusalem. These treasures had been taken to Rome by Titus after the destruction of Jerusalem. From Rome, the sea king Geyseric had taken them on his dragon ships, together with the empress Eudoxia, to his capital Carthage, and now Belisarius had brought them from Carthage to the emperor of the east. The cupola of the hall representing the firmament was wrought in mosaic. Costly blue stones formed the groundwork in which were inlaid besides the sun, the moon, the eye of God, the lamb, the fish, the birds, the palm, the vine, the unicorn, and many other symbols of Christianity, the whole zodiac and innumerable stars of massive gold. The cost of the cupola alone was estimated as high as the whole income of the taxes on property in all the empire for 45 years. Opposite the three great arches of the entrance, which were closed by curtains, it was the only entrance to the hall, and were guarded outside by a threefold line of imperial bodyguards, the golden shields, stood, at the bottom of the semicircular hall, the elevated throne of the emperor, and below it, on the left, the seat of the empress. When Justinian entered the hall with a numerous retinue of palace officials, all the assembly consisting of the highest dignitaries of the realm threw themselves upon their faces in humble prostration. The empress alone rose, bowed deeply, and crossed her arms upon her bosom. Her dress was exactly similar to that of her husband. Her white stole was also covered with a purple mantle, but without hem. She carried a very short scepter of ivory. The emperor cast a slight but contemptuous glance at the patriarchs, archbishops, bishops, patricians, and senators who, above thirty in number, occupied a row of gilded chairs set in a semicircle and provided with cushions. He then passed through the middle of the hall and ascended his throne with a quick, firm step. Twelve of the chief officers of the palace stood upon the steps of the two thrones, holding white wands in their hands. A blast of trumpets gave the signal to the kneeling assembly to rise. Reverend bishops and worthy senators, began the emperor, we have called you together to ask your advice in an affair of great moment. But why is our magister militum per orientum narcis absent? He returned only yesterday from Persia. He is sick and confined to bed, answered the usher. Where is our treasurer of the Sacri Palati, Trebonius? He has not yet returned from his embassy to Beritus about the code. Where is Belisarius, our magister militum per orientum extraordinum? He does not reside in Byzantium, but in Asia, in the Red House at Sicy. He keeps too far apart in the Red House. It displeases us. Why does he avoid our presence? He could not be found. Not even in the house of his freedman, Photius? He has gone hunting to try the Persian hunting leopards, said Leo, the assistant huntsman. He is never to be found when wanted, and is always present when not wanted. I am not content with Belisarius. Hear now what has lately been communicated to me by letter. Afterwards you shall hear the report of the envoys themselves. You know that we have allowed the war in Italy to die away, for we had other occupation for our generals. You know that the barbarian king sued for peace and the quiet possession of Italy. We rejected it at that time, awaiting more convenient circumstances. The Goth has answered, not in words, but by very insolent deeds. No one in Byzantium knows of it. We kept the news to ourselves, thinking it impossible, or at least exaggerated. 
but we find that it is true, and now you shall hear it and advise upon it. The barbarian king has sent a fleet and an army to Dalmatia with great haste and secrecy. The fleet entered the harbor of Macurum near Salona. The army landed and carried the fortress by storm. In a similar way, the fleet surprised the coast town of La Retia. Claudianus, our governor at Salona, sent numerous and strongly manned vessels to retake the town from the Goths. But a naval combat took place, and the Goth Duke Githerus beat our squadron so thoroughly that he made prizes of all the vessels without exception and carried them victoriously into the harbor of Loritia. Further, the Gothic king equipped a second fleet of 400 large ships at Kentum Calais. It was formed for the most part of Byzantine vessels which sent from the east to Sicily to reinforce Belisarius in ignorance that the Italian harbors were again in possession of the Goths, had been taken by a Gothic earl, Grippa, with all their crews and freights. The goal of this second fleet was unknown, but suddenly the barbarian king appeared with the fleet before Belgium, the fortress in the extreme southern part of Brutia, which place we had won on our first landing in Italy and had not since lost. After a brave resistance, the garrison of Herulians and Massagate were forced to capitulate, but the tyrant Totila sailed immediately to Sicily to wrest from us that earliest of Belisarius's conquests. He beat the Roman governor Dementiolus, who met him in the open field, and in a short time took possession of the whole island with the exception of Messana, Panormus, and Syracuse, which were enabled to hold out by reason of their formidable fortifications. A fleet which I sent to attempt the reconquest of Sicily was dispersed by a storm. A second was driven by the northwest wind to the Peloponnesus. At the same time, a third fleet of triremes, equipped by this indefatigable king and commanded by Earl Haduswinth, sailed for Corsica and Sardinia. The first of these islands presently fell to the Goths after the imperial garrison of the capital city of Alexia had been beaten before the walls. The rich Corsican, Furius Ahala, to whom the greater part of the island belongs, was absent in India, but his stewards and tenants had been ordered in case of a landing of the Goths in no wise to oppose them, but to aid them to the best of their power. From Corsica the barbarians turned to Sardinia. Here near Caralis they beat the troops which our magister Militum had sent from Africa to conquer the island, and took Caralis as well as Sulci, Castratahani, and Tures. The Goths then settled down in both islands and treated them as permanently acquired dependencies of the Gothic kingdom, placing Gothic commanders in all the towns and raising taxes according to Gothic law. Strange to say, these taxes are far less heavy than ours, and the inhabitants shamelessly declare that they would rather pay the barbarians fifty than ninety to us. But all this was not enough. Sailing to the northeast from Sicily, the tyrant Totila united his squadron with a fourth fleet under Earl Thea off Hydrus. Part of this united fleet under Earl Thorismith sailed to Kokaira, took possession of that island, and thence conquered all the surrounding islands. But not yet enough. The tyrant Totila and Earl Thea already attack the mainland of our empire. A murmur of terror interrupted the august speaker. Justinian resumed in an angry voice. They have landed in the harbor of Epirus Vetus, carried the towns of Nicopolis and Anchises southwest of the ancient Dodona, and taken a great many of our ships along the coast. 
all this may excite your indignation against the insolence of these barbarians but you have now to hear what will move you in a different way briefly according to reports which reached me yesterday it is certain that the goths are in full march upon byzantium itself at this some of the senators sprang to their feet they intend a double attack the united fleet commanded by duke guntherus earls marcia grippa and thorismith has beaten in a combat of two days duration the fleet which protected our island provinces and has driven it into the straits of sestos and abydos their army under totila and Teia is marching across thessaly by way of dodona against macedonia thessalonica is already threatened earl Teia has raised to the ground the new wall which we had there erected the road to byzantium is open and no army stands between us and the barbarians all our troops are on the persian frontier and now listen to what the goth proposes fortunately god has befooled and blinded him to our weakness he again offers us peace under the former conditions with one exception that he now intends to keep possession of sicily but he will evacuate all his other conquests if we acknowledge his rule in italy as i have no means neither fleets nor cohorts to stop his victorious course i have for the present demanded an armistice this he has agreed to on condition that afterwards peace is to be concluded on the former conditions i have agreed to this and pausing the emperor cast a searching glance at the assembly and looked askance at the empress the assembly was evidently relieved the empress closed her eyes in order to conceal their expression her small hand grasped convulsively the arm of her throne but i agreed to it with the reservation that i should first hear the opinion of my wife who has lately been an advocate for peace and that also of my wise senate i added that i myself was inclined to peace all present looked more at ease and i believed that i could tell beforehand what would be the decision of my counsellors upon this understanding the horsemen of earl Teia unwillingly halted at thessalonica unfortunately they had already taken prisoner the bishop of that city but they have sent him here with other prisoners carrying messages and letters you shall hear them and then decide reflect that if we refuse to conclude a peace the barbarians will soon stand before our gates and that we are only asked to yield that which the empire had given up long ago and which belisarius in two campaigns failed to reconquer italia let the envoys approach through the arches of the entrance the bodyguard now led in several men in clerical official and military costume trembling and sighing they threw themselves at the feet of justinian even tears were not wanting at a sign from the emperor they rose again and stood before the steps of the throne your petitions and lamentations said the emperor i received yesterday protonotary now read to us the letter from the bishop of nicopolis and the wounded governor of illyricum since then the latter has succumbed to his wounds the protonotary read to justinius the unconquerable emperor of the romani dorotheus bishop of nicopolis and nazaris governor of illyricum the place whence we write these words will be the best proof of their gravity we write on board the royal barge of the gothic king the italia when you read these words you will have already learned the defeat of the fleet and the loss of the islands the storming of the new wall and the destruction of the army of illyricum quicker than the messengers and fugitives from these battles have the gothic pursuers reached us the gothic king has conquered and spared nicopolis earl Teia has conquered and burnt anchises 
I, Nazaris, have served in the army for thirty years, and never have I seen such an attack as that in which Earl Thea overthrew me at the gates of Anchises. They are irresistible, these Goths. Their horsemen sweep the country from Thessalonica to Philippi. The Goths in the heart of Illyricum! That has not been heard of for sixty years, and the king has sworn to return every year until he has peace or Byzantium. Since he won Kerkyra and Cybotes, he stands upon the bridge of your empire. Therefore, as God has touched the heart of this king, as he offers peace at a moderate price, the price of what he has actually gained, we beseech you in the name of your trembling subjects and of your smoking towns to conclude a peace. Save us and save Byzantium. For your generals, Belisarius and Narsus, will rather be able to stop the course of the sun and the blowing of the wind than to stay King Totila and the terrible Taea. They are prisoners, said the emperor, interrupting the reader, and perhaps they speak in fear of death. Now it is your turn to speak, venerable bishop of Thessalonica, you, Anatolius, commander of Dodona, and you, Parmenio, brave captain of the Macedonian Lancers, you are safe here under our imperial protection, but you have seen the barbarian generals. What do you advise? At this the aged bishop of Thessalonica again threw himself upon his knees and cried, Emperor of the Romani, the barbarian king, Totila is a heretic and accursed forever. Yet never have I seen a man more richly endowed with all Christian virtues. Do not strive with him. In the other world he will be damned forever, but I cannot comprehend it. On earth God blesses all his ways. He is irresistible. I understand it well, interposed Anatolius. It is his craft which wins for him all hearts. The deepest hypocrisy, a power of dissimulation, which outdoes all our much-renowned and defamed Grecian cunning. The barbarian plays the part of a philanthropist so excellently that he almost deceived me, until I reflected that there was no such thing in the world as the love which this man pretends with all the art of a comedian. He acts as if he really felt compassion for his conquered enemies. He feeds the hungry, he divides the booty, your tax money, O Emperor, amongst the country people, whose fields have been devastated by the war. Women who had fled into the woods and were found by his horsemen, he returns uninjured to their husbands. He enters the villages to the sound of a harp, played by a beautiful youth who leads his horse. Do you know what is the consequence? Your own subjects, Emperor of the Romani, rebel to him, and deliver your officers, who have obeyed your severe laws, into his hands. Peasants and farmers of Dodona did so by me. This barbarian is the greatest comedian of the century, and the clever hypocrite understands many other things besides fighting. He has entered into an alliance against you with the distant Persians, with your inveterate enemy Kosroas. We ourselves saw the Persian ambassador ride out of his camp toward the east. When Anatolius had ceased speaking, the Macedonian captain gave his report, which ran, Ruler of the Romani, since Earl Taea gained the high road of Thessalonica, Nothing stands between your throne and his battle axe but the walls of this city. He who stormed the new wall eight times in succession and carried it at the ninth attempt will carry the walls of Byzantium at the tenth. You can only repel the Goths if you have sevenfold their number. If you have it not, then conclude a peace. Peace, peace, we beseech you in the name of your trembling provinces of Epirus, Thessaly, and Macedonia. Deliver us from the Goths. Let us not again see the days of Alaric and Theodoric. Peace with the Goths! Peace! Peace! 
all of the envoys bishops officials and warriors sank upon their knees with the cry of peace the effect on the assembly was fearful it had often happened that persians and saracens in the east moors in the south and bulgarians and slavonians in the northwest had made incursions into the country slaying and plundering and had sometimes beaten the troops sent against them and escaped unhindered with their booty but that grecian islands should be permanently conquered by the enemy that grecian harbors should be won and governed by barbarians and that the high road to byzantium should be dominated by goths was unheard of with dismay the senators thought of the days when gothic ships and gothic armies should overrun all the grecian islands and repeatedly storm the walls of byzantium only to be stopped by the fulfillment of all their demands they already seemed to hear the battle-axe of the black earl knocking at their gates quietly and searchingly did justinian look into the rows of anxious faces on his right and on his left you have heard he then began what church state and army desire now i ask your opinion we have already accomplished an armistice shall war or shall peace ensue one word will by peace our assent to the cession of italy which is already lost whoever among you is in favor of war let him hold up his hand no one moved for the senators were afraid for byzantium and they had no doubt of the emperor's inclination for peace my senate unanimously declares for peace i knew it beforehand said justinian with a singular smile i am accustomed always to follow the advice of my wise counsellors and of my empress at this word theodora started from her seat and threw her ivory sceptre from her with such violence that it flew far across the hall the senators were startled then farewell cried the empress farewell to what has ever been my pride my belief in justinian and his imperial dignity farewell all share in the cares and honors of the state alas justinian alas for you and me that i must hear such words from your lips and she hid her face in her purple mantle in order to conceal the agony which her excitement caused her the emperor turned towards her what the augusta my wife who since belisarius returned to byzantium for the second time has always advocated peace with a short exception does she now in such a time of danger advise war cried theodora uncovering her face and in her intense earnestness she looked more beautiful than she ever did when smiling in playful sport must i your wife remind you of your honor will you suffer these barbarians to fix themselves firmly in your empire and force you to their will you who dreamt of the re-establishment of the empire of constantine you justinian who have taken the names of persicus vandalicus alaticus and gothicus you will allow this gothic stripling to lead you by the beard whithersoever he will are you not the same justinian who had been admired by the world by byzantium and by theodora our admiration was in error on hearing these words the patriarch of byzantium he still believed that the emperor had irrevocably decided upon peace took courage to oppose the empress who did not always hit upon the strict definition of orthodoxy of which he was the representative what he said the august lady advises bloody war verily the holy church has no need to plead for the heretic notwithstanding the new king is wonderfully mild towards the catholics in italy and we can wait for more favorable times until no priest interrupted theodora the outraged honor of this empire can wait no longer justinian he remained obstinately silent 
o justinian let us not be deceived in you you dare not let that be wrung from you by defiance which you refuse to humble petitions must i remind you that once before your wife's advice and will and courage saved your honor have you forgotten the terrible rebellion of the nica have you forgotten how the united parties of the circus of the frantic mob of byzantium attacked this house flames arose the cry of down with the tyrants rang in our ears all your counsellors advised flight or compliance all these reverend bishops and wise senators and even your generals for narcissus was away in distant asia and belisarius was shut up by the rebels in the palace on the shore all were in despair your wife theodora was the only hero by your side if you had yielded or fled your throne your life and most certainly your honor would have been lost you hesitated you were inclined to fly remain and die if need be i then said but die in the purple and you remained and your courage saved you you awaited death upon your throne with me at your side and god sent belisarius to our relief i speak the same now do not yield emperor of the romani do not yield to the barbarians stand firm let the ruins of the golden gate overwhelm you if the axe of the terrible goth can force it but die an emperor this purple is stained by the immeasurable insolence of these germans i throw it from me and i swear by the wisdom of god never will i again resume it until the empire is rid of the goths and she tore off her mantle and threw it down upon the steps of the throne but then greatly exhausted she was on the point of sinking back into her seat when justinian caught her in his arms and pressed her to his bosom theodora he cried my glorious wife you need no purple on your shoulders your spirit is clothed in purple you alone understand justinian war and destruction to the goths at this spectacle the trembling senators were overwhelmed with terror and astonishment yes wise fathers cried the emperor turning to the assembly this time you were too clever to be men it is indeed an honor to be called constantino's successor but it is no honor to be your master our enemies i fear are right constantine only planted here the dead mummy of rome but the soul of rome had already fled alas for the empire were it free or a republic it would now have sunk in shame for ever it must have a master who when like a lazy horse it threatens to sink into the quagmire pulls it up by the rein a strong master with bridle whip and spurs at this moment a little crooked man leaning on a crutch forced his way into the hall and limped up the steps to the throne emperor of the romans he began when he rose from his obeisance a report reached me on my bed of pain of all that the barbarians had dared and of what was going on here i gathered all my strength and dragged myself here with difficulty for by one word from you i must learn whether i have been a fool from the beginning in holding you to be a great ruler in spite of many weaknesses whether i shall throw your marshal's staff into the deepest well or still carry it with pride speak only one word war or peace war war cried justinian end of section ninety two this recording is in the public domain recorded by e winters